I mentioned that we've been in Africa um, this, uh, this past week with um, one of our elders, Adrian Hoyt, and uh, uh, wow, like it, I gotta tell you, it is so encouraging to know that there are people who, um, for example, belong to the Islamic faith for hundreds of years, uh, really from the beginning of Islam until almost 9-11, there were very few people who actually turned to, to belief in Isa, Jesus, not just as a prophet, but as really the one who would save them. And that has radically changed. There's thousands of people who are coming to faith in Christ. And how they're doing this is what we're going to try to do today. They read God's word and they just obey it. It's not just knowledge. It's not just sitting and hearing a sermon. It's actually obeying. So today we're going to take some action steps during the sermon, and it's going to be highly participatory. You're going to have opportunity to respond. You're going to have opportunity to even read the scripture yourself, and we'll see how, how it goes. Let's look at, turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, and um, as you're turning there, you can find that in your table of contents in the front of your Bibles, or uh, you can look it up on your smartphones. Nehemiah chapter 9. And let me, as you're finding that, let me just give you the context. Two weeks ago, we started off our year um, from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 and 18, and we, we uh, learned that we need to to recognize that God has been so good to us even in the hard times. And if you recall, remember there was a tent over here? Do you remember this? There was a tent, and that was to just help you visualize that the people of God were to go camping. They were to actually uh, celebrate the, what's called the Festival of Shelters. And it's, yeah, Pastor Dan was here today, which is awesome. Would have loved that message because it was all about camping. And um, by the way, like don't overwhelm them, but Go, go bless and love on, the, on this family, okay? Um, and uh, so we, we're talking about how God calls his people to go camping to remember their 40 years in the wilderness. How that they had, were totally dependent upon God during those 40 years. So the, the, um, the Jews, they celebrate the festival shelters for those seven days. And they're reading God's word. They're getting down back to the bare essentials of what it means to follow God. And then all of a sudden, just like a week or two later, we read this. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, in sackcloth, and uh, with earth on their heads. So this is the closest I could find a sackcloth. I don't want you to all wear sackcloth today, but I'm going to pass this around and you can at least feel it. Like, this is itchy, okay? I, I tried to put it on this morning. I was like, I can't take this. Uh, so um, why, why, would, why would the people go from, like, this amazing celebration to all of a sudden wearing sackcloth? Because God wants us, and here's one of the first applications. God wants us to do whatever it takes to remind us of his faithfulness. In days of, of the Jews, they pour dirt on their head. They um, wore sackcloth just to feel that. And, it's, and, and it was a reminder. So whatever you have to do, do you have to put a, do you have to put a sticky note or, or, or something on your mirror in your room? Whatever you have to do, remind yourself every day of God's faithfulness. 
So the people had this big celebration that we read about in Nehemiah chapter 8, and then all of a sudden they're fasting. Now that, we can kind of relate to that, right? Because Christmas was a lot of feasting, and then just a couple of weeks later, we're all fasting, right? We, we, we cut back on everything. We try to go on diets. We try to cut our spending and try to pay off those, those bills. We um, try to get organized, right? We do all these things. So do you see how things really haven't changed that much from like millennia? The more I travel, the more I study about people, we're essentially the same. Yes, we have differences of food and culture, but things don't really change. And you might say, well, John, what happened from them going to this holy day to feeling unholy? Well, here's the thing. When you and I get close to God, sometimes we want to run away because we remember how unholy we are and how holy God is. Have you ever found that to be true? Like, Think about the fact that, um, remember when Peter first encountered Jesus? Jesus had, uh, Jesus had been watching the, Peter and his fishing buddies, and they were uh, fishing, and they'd fished all night, and these, these were expert fishermen. And then Jesus says, no, I want you to still go out and cast your nets. And what happens? God, God through Jesus Christ, produces this amazing, miraculous catch of fish. And what does Peter say? Well, in Luke chapter 5, this is what he says. Luke chapter 5, and uh, he says this. But when Simon Peter saw it, meaning the miraculous catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Sometimes when we get close to God, we want to run away. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, let's walk through this passage. I'm going to read the rest of this, um, these verses up into verse 5 and, uh, and try to explain them along the way. It says, verse 2, And the Israelites separated themselves for all, from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Listen up, especially if you're new, if you're not kind of outside the faith, we love you, we welcome you here, we're so glad that you're here, but this service is not about you. This is not about you. This service is about God first and foremost. It's about seeking him and worshiping him. We want to be, we want to be seeking God. And so that's what the people did. And that's why we do crazy things like pray together. That's why we shake hands together. That's why we sing songs as a group. Not just, you know, car karaoke or anything like that, right? When you're alone. We do different things as a church. And the people of God have always done that. And then it says in verse 3, And they stood up in their place, and they read the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. So when they were in the tents and celebrating the festival shelters, it was like a Bible conference was going on. But guess what? The Bible conference continued. And so for upwards of even you know, a quarter of the day, so there's 24 hours in a day, we can easily do this. How many hours were they actually sitting under God's word? Six hours they were reading God's word. 
Six hours, a 12 hour, 12 hours. And then for the next six hours, they confess their sins. Do you see that? That would be quite the service. Verse 4 says, On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua. Doesn't that sound like Joshua? In fact, we could transpose that to the Greek, and it has the idea of Jesus, but different person, of course. Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shinani. Well, that's a hard word to say. Aren't you glad that I didn't ask you to write, read this passage? And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodadiah, Shebaniah, and Pethaliah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So here's the thing. We're going to stand up in just a moment. This is actually our memory verse, right? So we should all know this. Nehemiah 9, verse 5. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Let's stand up right now, all of us, and let's just bless the Lord for his glorious name. So, I'll start us off. Um, and just again, the ABCs of prayer are aloud, briefly, and clearly. So let's pray. Um, Lord, we bless your name. And you fill in whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit's telling you to, to bless your holy name. Lord, we bless your name for even being able to gather together to worship you today. today. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Amen. Holy and awesome. God, thank you. Amen. Amen. And God, we bless your name most of all because of you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, who saved us and is our Lord and um, through the Holy Spirit is with us forever and ever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to ask somebody to read verses 6 through, um, six through 8 out loud. Would someone read that for me? Verses 6 through 8. Thank you, Wayne. One of the first things we can do as we're trying to apply God's word, 
when we find ourselves in a situation being wanting to run away from God because he's so holy and we feel unholy, is we should just say, you are the Lord. You are the Lord. You alone are the Lord. In fact, this is repeated in verse 6 and 7. You are the Lord. It's a recognition that God is the creator, that he's in charge. He is sovereign over all things. It says in verse 6, you have made heaven the heavens, the heaven of heavens. So not just one heaven, right? There's multiple heavens. With all their host and the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Often we forget and we think, well, we're gonna, when we go to church, we're going to start worshiping. Actually, the worship service already began because the angelic beings are always worshiping God, and we're joining uh, them in their great worship of God. And that's someday there will be seemingly no separation between us and the angels and worshiping God as we're in, with him in, in, the, in the heavenly throne room. But let's remember this. God is constantly worshiped. He's worshiped in heaven. And then he's also worshiped on, on earth. And then it says in verse 7, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram. And brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. So Abram, as we know, was actually, he was an idol worshiper. But God called him out and called him to obey and to go to the land of promise. Here's a great truth. God chose us before we chose him and it says in verse 8, you found his heart faithful before you, made him with the covenant to give his offspring in the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Gergesites. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. God was faithful to Abraham. And this old, this, this man named Abram who um, struggled to have children, he and his wife Sarah, when they were very old, God miraculously gave them a son, and then they, he became the father of many nations. And the whole earth was blessed because of him. And the ultimate son they had was through Jesus Christ. God has kept his promise. So you don't have to stand this time, but let's pray. Lord, you have kept your promise. Would someone just lead out in that? Lord, you've kept your promise and keep it short, for you are righteous. How has the Lord kept his promise to you, to us? Amen. Amen. Yes, God has provided for us. Mm -hmm. Amen. One more promise. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Look at verse 9. 
It says, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you know that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. Let's just pause there for a moment. God's making a name for himself. Is that arrogant? Is God boasting about himself? John the Piper has, has, has uh, Pastor John Piper has helped us to understand this. Is he reminds us that when God is making a name for himself, it's not God is being um, arrogant. He's not being selfish. He's doing what's right. Because God cannot be idolatrous. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. This is the Ten Commandments. We find in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. We're going to see some very instructive in, uh, instructions here. Um, so we're going to stay here for a little bit. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And you're going to see how this links and gives us context for what um, is, is read in Nehemiah, the, the, the prayers and the preaching of these Levites back in Nehemiah 9. And here's what it says in Exodus 20, verse 1. Genesis, Exodus, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God can't even break this rule that he has other gods before himself. He ha There's only one God, right? There's only one God. And the other part of this is the fact that when he's making a name for himself, you notice it's always in the context of rescue. And there's protection under the banner name of the Lord. Right? The righteous, the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower. The righteous run to it and they're what? They're saved. There's a protection under the name of God. It reminds me, um, we... Uh, when we went to um, Togo this past week, we went with Global 8 Network, one of our partners. And uh, Global 8 Network, um, they were invited by the Togolese government, particularly the president, to come a number of years ago to uh, help them have uh, clean water. And so um, they arrived, and uh, they were met with by the president of the country, but also his wife. And the wife said this to gain. They said, we don't want you to just bring clean water to our country. We want you to bring us living water. Can you imagine the wife of the president inviting you and saying that? Like, that's an open door for the gospel, right? And so here's, here's the thing. We had so much favor uh, as, as part of being gay that we... Um, we drove in these vehicles that had diplomatic immunity. And so there were times we went to these checkpoints and it's a little unnerving because every checkpoint has guys with like soldiers with machine guns and they ask for your passports and all these things. But because we had gang on our truck and because we have diplomatic immunity, you can just go on through. Isn't that what God does? Even in a greater way? We are under the name of God and under the name of Jesus Christ. And we have, we have immunity. We, uh, everything's been taken care of 
by God. Now notice also here in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3, this is very important. And, and there's a lot of confusion out in the culture thinks about um, that, that religion's all about rules. It never has been all about rules. I'm going to teach that this week, and you can pray for me. I'm, I'm, I've been asked to go speak at a religion class at St. Benedict's Secondary School this Thursday. And I'm going to teach about this, the difference. Notice back in, in, in the Ten Commandments, even in the Ten Commandments, it says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. It's relationship first. Do you see this? God's declaring who he is. Who you, do you say that I am? We just sang that. And then he says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So it's relationship, rescue, and then he finally gets to the rules. That's how God acts. We need to remember this. Going back to verse, verse 9, we say, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly, arrogantly against their fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them, in the day and by a pillar of fire at night, to a light for them in which they should go. Wow. God not only rescues us, but he continues to guide us. That gives us great hope. Great hope. I've been really encouraged. God's going to guide us through the hard times when everything is pressed up against us. God will guide us. We just have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Verse 13, you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them now right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Like, think about the Ten Commandments. Are, are, those, are those good rules? Don't you think that all of them actually help us in our relationships to God and to each other? All of them. And then it says, you made known to them your holy Sabbath, so there's rest built in, commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them and out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go and to possess the land that you'd sworn to give them. So God's fulfilling his promises. Now, could I get someone to read verses 16 through 21? 16 through 21.
Wow, thank you, Ardell. So as we walk through this passage, we see here that actually God um, had rescued the people from Egypt amazingly out of their slavery, and yet they want to go back. They want to, to go back to Egypt. They want to disobey. And, and we talk a lot about mindfulness today, right? We talk a lot about being mindful. Here's what true biblical mindfulness is. It's to remember the wonders of God. That's what the true mindfulness should be. Because if we don't, then we will stiffen our neck and, be, and, and we'll try to go back to slavery. The amazing thing that I find here is notice this, the mercy of God. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies. This is something you need to underline. Great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. You're going to see this repeated throughout this passage, these mercies that God has given us. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration. It's a shocking illustration, but I think this is the best I can describe this. This is essentially what happened. God was calling his people forth, bringing them out of slavery, and he was establishing a covenant on that Mount Sinai. This would be like a married couple on their wedding night, and one of the spouses goes off into, to get ready, and the other spouse, the other spouse goes into the next room and sleeps with a prostitute looks at pornography, then uses the money from the wedding, all the gifts of the, of, from the wedding, to actually pay the prostitute. That's what the people of God did. God was establishing this covenant with his people on Mount Sinai. And what did they do? They take all the plunder from Egypt and they use it to make a golden calf and worship that golden calf. That's how shocking this is. But what is even more shocking is look at Nehemiah chapter 9, what it says in verse 19, and you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. God showed mercy and forgave, and he continued to guide them. Verse 20, he didn't just guide them, he also instructed them. We, we often think that the Holy Spirit, when he finally shows up, the first time we really get to know the Holy Spirit is when Jesus gives reference to him in the Gospel of John. He, he, and Jesus says, you know, um, I, I go away so that the counselor may come and that he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit's actually been the one guiding us from the beginning of always God's people. He's the one behind every part of God's word. And so you gave your spirit to instruct them. Then in verse 22, we read this. Oh, verse, 40, verse 21, just for a second. Think about this. For 40 years, they lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. I mean, there's been times in, in our lives where we've, it's been, things have been really tight, right? But we've really lacked nothing. And the people in that day, their sandals didn't wear out. And guess what? Their feet didn't even swell. You can wear like amazing $200 Nike shoes, you know, getting them from an awesome sports store that I won't mention. But you can get these, these awesome shoes and your feet can swell if you've been walking all day, right? But for 40 years, they had, they had just sandals with no orthotics. And there was, they, there was no swelling because God was sustaining them. God was taking care of them. 
And it says in verse 22, And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them every quarter. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Hashbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Those are some kings that refused to give the Israelites access to the land of promise. And so God wipes them out. And it says, You multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven, and you brought them into the land you had told of their fathers to enter and possess. And so the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued them before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities that were in a rich land and took possessions of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive oil, olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. They took what they were afraid of at one time with the land of giants and God has now provided for them. But it's a dangerous time. It's a really dangerous time. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. You know, when I think about how God has blessed us so much, it's, it's dangerous for us, especially in the West, because we, we have so much. Um, on Thursday, we had been traveling all day out into the villages in Africa um, to visit a well and to visit uh, a church building, a new church building. It's awesome. This church now has 30, 30 believers. And um, we hadn't eaten all day. We just had a snack in the car. And uh, we got back to the hotel. We were famished. And so when you're over hungry, like when you're really hungry, you overorder. We had like ordered two pizzas. We had hamburgers. We had um, plantains. We had, uh, we had vegetables. We had uh, uh, chicken fried rice. I mean, we had like, it was just like amazing. And then one of our ministry partners by the name of Parfait, like the dessert, he shows up. And Parfait is an amazing leader. He actually is the head of translation for Wycliffe in all of Africa. Did you realize that there are a thousand languages being translated uh, this very day? Uh, the Bible is being translated in a thousand languages in Africa. And Parfait is, Parfait is in charge of, of all of those. And yet he has time to... Um, to wanted to do this awesome project, a sustainable project, where he is, uh, he is actually, they're, they're buying chickens and, and um, pineapple, and they're actually going to be able to feed so the people in this very remote area where they're trying to reach unreached people groups, and that gives them a skill and an economy, and then they're able to help uh, give, give food, but not just food, but also it's kind of an open door and access for the gospel. And so Parfait shows up while we're eating all this food, and we're hungry. And uh, his little daughter, um, Joanna, was there as well. And he's, he sees all us Westerners and all this food coming, food. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm feeling pretty guilty, but I'm really hungry as well. And, uh, and, and you, you, after a while, though, you start to go, wow, I have, I have it so good. And here's this amazing, awesome Christian leader. It's dangerous when we have so much. It's dangerous when we have so much. Because here's what happens. We can, it can lead us to disobedience. When we have abundance, it can lead to disobedience. 
They rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back. Like, may we never have God's word. Here's the picture. What's the problem if God's behind your back? God's word's behind your back. Who's leading? We are, right? God's word's got to be the one that leads us. And they killed your prophets who turned who'd warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hands of enemies who made them suffer, and in the time of their suffering they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven. And what does it say there again? And according to your what? Second time that's used. You gave them saviors, many messiahs, if we could put it that way. Think about the judges that were raised up to, to rescue the people who saved them from the hands of their enemies. But after they, did, had, they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hands of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your what? Mercies, right? Underline. And when you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sin against against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. Listen to that. If we will obey, if we will start doing as what's happening around the world with Christians, they're they're not just taking this to gain more in their heads. They're actually taking this is called obedient discipleship. They're taking God's word at face value and say, I'm just going to do this because this is what Jesus tells us. This is what the Lord says. And if you do that, you will live. May we, may, as we walk forward, may we just be an obedient people and motivated by love and grace, not to earn God's favor, not to pay him back, but just because we're so overwhelmed with his mercy to us. Verse 30. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them to the hands of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, here it is again. You getting tired of God's great mercies? In your great mercies, you do not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Like he, he's like, just in case you didn't get it, I want to remind you again, you're a gracious and merciful God. The Levites are, are praying and preaching. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love, let all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us. Notice they're not blaming God anymore. I love this. They're like, this is right, God, that you did this for us. You actually disciplined us upon our kings and our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, on all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Wow. In that little statement right there, that says a lot. You, Lord, have dealt faithfully. And we have acted wickedly. You have been faithful. We have been faithless. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom, enjoying your great goodness that you gave them, And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. And in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. Wow. They're back. They didn't leave Israel to go back to Egypt. Egypt came to them, in a sense. They came back to slavery. One of the most sobering days that we had in Africa was, um, when, and one of the things we did was we visited what was called the House of Slaves there in Lome, Togo. And um, 
This slave house uh, actually was built after the abolition of slavery. But what had happened was uh, there was a secret slave trade that was still going on. And so this house would, was a, a good-looking house. And on the, on the, the first floor, um, everything looked like a normal house. But underneath, at about this height, okay, about this height, underneath the floorboards, there was just enough space to put slaves. And they had to lay down. And we got underneath there. They had to lay down and just live like this in the squalor until finally they learned that they were going to be shipped off to the West to be slaves. People were still returning to slavery after the abolition of slavery. And slavery is still true today. How much greater have, have people who have once learned about the, the good news of Jesus Christ and experienced the freedom that he's given have returned to slavery? And the reason why is because simply this, we have not obeyed God's word. We have not taken God's word at his face value and we've not tried to live this out. And verse 37 says, And its rich yields goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our lives suck as they please, and we are in great distress. Does anybody feel that today? And because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So, as the worship team comes forward, and we um, are going to sing, and remember that God's grace and mercy is, is, is so abundant. It's there for us today. It's for us, for us right now. Without any manipulation, I want to challenge you. And I, I, I'd ask no one leave. Okay? Don't leave. You, you, Swiss LA will still be open. Okay? I believe that God wants us to confess our sins so that you can find grace and mercy in your time of need. As we're sinning, you have an opportunity to just come forward. These people went public with their sin. And this is a time where you humble yourself. We're not even making you wear sackcloth today, right? We're asking you to come forward and you to confess your sins. And the motivation is this. Grace is right here. It's, it's being offered to you. Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the grave so that we would experience freedom. Never to go back. Never to return. It's, it's the fact that he was obedient and lived out perfectly so that we, we could now live in that same type of freedom. So you come you confess these sins before the Lord. Find mercy because God is greater than all your regrets, all your sins, all your failures. You come.